How is uh, how's Lisa doing? Uh, you're, the to pray for her. She's been through quite a bit, and uh, God knows. Let's uh, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, verse 10. We're dealing with the judgment seat of Christ for this morning for Sunday school, and uh, there are several texts that we could go to. We can go to Romans chapter 14, verse 10 and verse 12, and we can go to James chapter 5, verse 9. We can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We can go to several places where it talks about the judgment seat of Christ, and Sometimes when it doesn't really list it uh, very explicitly, sometimes it's also um, alluded to in many of the texts. And so, uh, as though we, we see it mentioned here and there a little bit, it's, it's also referenced to other places as well, maybe not explicitly, as I said. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, I don't want to be all over the place. We're just going to stick to this passage of Scripture in particular. Um, and, and by the way, you could also find it in the Old Testament as well, over in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, where it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Uh, you know, this is the whole duty of man, to fear God and keep his commandments, for he'll bring every work into judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ, you know, we're, we're thinking about. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible says, for we must all, and the word all implies every one of us, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and every one may receive the, the rewards or the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Whether it be good or bad. I'm going to pray really quick because that's what I do for every message. And uh, we know I need the Lord's help and then we'll get into the Sunday school message. But this, this is the text. This is the, the foundation right here. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you, we ask your help and, and grace, Lord, as we come to understand the severity and the, the gravity of the text, Lord, we understand that one day uh, every one of us is going to appear before you, whether it's at the great white throne judgment or the judgment seat of Christ, and Lord, may we, may we understand, uh, Lord, that we are all accountable in this life, and may we just, because of that, Live our lives accordingly. Lord, thank you so much for loving us and taking care of our needs. Lord, may this be a gracious reminder to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, Second Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 is where we, we are. An umpire uh, named Babe Pinelli. You know, I'm not a sports person, so a lot of these names I don't know, but I do know the name of Babe Ruth. And uh, he was uh, at the baseball stadium. He was up to bat. And, you know, everybody knows Babe Ruth. You just, you don't challenge him, the kind of guy. And, uh, you know, and they, 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 he was part of this game. And uh, apparently he was, he was not doing too good at the bat. And uh, he had received two strikes. And the third one, the umpire, uh, Day, Babe Pinelli, he called a, a strike once again. And Babe Ruth, I mean, the, the crowd was booing the call and everything else. And, Babe Ruth, he finally had it up. He walked up to the umpire and he says, 
listen, can't you hear the crowds? Don't you know that was a bad call? And it was hoping that the umpire would just get upset, you know, causing a scene, this kind of thing. But he didn't lose his cool. I mean, both, both his own team was bracing themselves and everybody was bracing themselves for what was going to happen. He didn't lose his cool whatsoever. Uh, Babe Benella, he just talked to Babe Ruth in a very somber tone. He says, maybe so, Babe, uh, but mine is the only opinion that counts. It's not the crowd that counts. He says, mine's the only opinion that counts. And believers need to realize that God's judgment, it's not my opinion that counts. It's not your opinion that counts. It's not uh, the next church over opinion that counts. It's God's opinion that counts. And that, that's who we're living for. And I like what Romans chapter 14 says. It's before God that we stand and fall. And so every one of us, we're, we're accountable. That, that is sometimes a scary thought uh, to know that we are accountable to God. Well, we need to rely upon His sovereign grace. We need to understand what God's will is so that we can live for His glory. I don't think that He hides His will from any one of us. Uh, he wants us to succeed. Like any, any father who has his child, you know, we want to see our children be raised up to grow, to be successful. You know, little, not, well, they won't be little if they grow up, right? Uh, successful men and women here in, in, in this world. We, we don't want them to fail whatsoever. God doesn't want His children to fail, amen? And so according to the Bible, there is a day coming when Jesus Himself will return from heaven for those who have called upon Him in saving faith. And uh, He says, you know, at the last message I preached on Sunday school, He says that it's going to be at the, uh, the, the, it'll be the shout of, of, of Christ. He's going to come in the clouds. He'll come with a shout and then... Uh, It'll be the voice of the archangel, well, the trump of God and, and the voice of, of uh, the trump of God, I think is what it was. First Corinthians chapter 4. I should have just turned over there. I'm just trying to, I got a lot to cover, okay? But anyway, he, Christ is coming for his own. And uh, heaven's going to raise those who have called upon Christ. They're going to be risen. They're going to appear before their Savior. And the uh, Bible tells us that our vile body, the body of this corruption, uh, the body which we live in, the body in which uh, we've used to sin so often, this vile body is what the Bible calls it, would be changed like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he's able to subdue all things, even unto himself. But he's going to gather all the redeemed saints together and bring them back to his heavenly home, as he promised there in John chapter 14, and uh, will be ever with the Lord. So we know this event is the rapture of the church. Look forward to the rapture. And it's going to be a great event. Millions will bypass the undertaker. I hope I'm one of them. You know, there are several saints who have been, you know, they've gone and they've went to be with the Lord. Their bodies are buried in the earth. One day when Christ comes, they'll be the first to meet the Lord. And their bodies will be raised. It'll be a glorious resurrection. Uh, but I hope to be a part of that crowd where I don't have to face death. And if I do, you know, so be it. Uh, I know where I'm going. But, uh, you know, the, I hope to be a part of the ones where we're with the upper taker, all right? Uh, we don't have to be buried into the ground. It costs too much for that. We save some expense there. Uh, but anyway, many hold the opinion that as soon as the rapture takes place, the saints are going to go to heaven and they're all going to stand before God. They're going to be issued halos from the angels. Here you go. Uh, here's you a harp, I want to assign you a cloud somewhere, and you're just going to be sitting there for eternal bliss, forever and ever doing nothing but strumming that, that harp. I'm glad that heaven is not that boring. I don't care how Hollywood paints the picture. 
Uh, I'm glad that heaven, uh, the Bible, makes it a lot more exciting than what Hollywood could ever make it. And it's not fiction, it's reality. It's something that's real, and we believe these things by faith. And uh, we, we, we thank God for these truths we find in the Bible. Every believer awaits a new body, a new home, a new atmosphere, a new surrounding. Uh, we all talk about the streets of gold. We talk about the pearly gates. We talk about standing there with the angels and with all the redeemed and shouting, Glory, hallelujah, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. To receive glory and honor and power and riches and, and might and all these things. And we'll be a part of that. There's going to be peace, unsurpassed, joy, contentment. We'll be met in heaven with the personal presence of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. They're all going to be there. There's going to be no sin, no more separation, no more sorrow, no more dying. None of that will be there. And we'll get to enjoy all these things. But in light of all that, though all the things we are looking forward to being able to enjoy, to be able to wake up without the bones aching and the muscles causing us pain, without the headaches of the day and the trials that will face us, and, and realizing that we're not going to face those things anymore because we are the children of God if we've been saved. Um, but here's the other end of it. We, we, we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, there's a lot that's wrapped up into this idea of the judgment seat of Christ. Daniel Webster once said, he said this, he says, The greatest thought that has ever entered into my mind is that I have to stand before a holy God and to give it account for my life. And we too uh, must enter into our minds that I too am going to stand before God and give it account for my life. This, this standing here is going to be universal. There's going to be no exception to it. He says we, we all. It's not just some. It's not just for those who've messed up. It's not just for those who who have lived wayward lives. It's not just for those who have backslidden. It's not just for those who, uh, who, who may have just, like, like Demas, who have forsaken Paul, or like John Mark, who is on the mission field with, with Paul, and he says, no, I'm not cut out for this. I want to go back home. It's not, it's not for like any of these. It's for all of us, every single one. So it's going to be universal. It's going to be unavoidable. He says we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're not going to be able to waive our rights and say, I have presidential immunity or anything like this. We're not going to be able to say, hey, I, I'm exempt from this. He says, no, you must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to get out of this. It doesn't matter who you think you are. Even the Apostle Paul understood this. And for many of us, we, we read the Bible and we, we esteem him just as high as we do for, for Daniel and Job and Noah. Uh, whom the Lord lifted up, and he says, no, Job and Noah and Daniel, though they be in, in, in Israel, you know, I'm not going to spare the land, even if they, they will spare their own lives, but, but even they, even they will stand before God. So there's, it's unavoidable and it's undeniable, and we read that the judgment seat of Christ, everyone will receive the things done in this body according to what he had done, and whether it be good or bad, and sometimes that's a sobering thought. You know, what have I done in this body? You know, that's what we ought to be thinking about. And what should I be doing in this body? And so we, we, we have nothing to hide from, from Christ. Every, every bit of us want to come to light. And so there's going to be, here's the three points for the Sunday school lesson. It's going to be a time of revealing. Time of revealing. 
It's going to be a time of reckoning. And here's, here's the last point. It's going to be a time in which we should do some reflecting. There's a time of revealing. The Bible says we must all appear. We understand that uh, we, uh, we have to make an appearance before this judgment seat of Christ. Now, the issue is not to do with our salvation. Jesus has promised us eternal life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have, what? Everlasting life. So we're not going to appear before Him and just, well, God, you know, you said you saved me. Am I going to lose my salvation? We don't have that to worry about whatsoever. It's settled. It's final. We're, we're kept by the power of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have God's word on it. Jesus promises eternal life, and that never goes away. We've got to understand that the issue is not sin. It's not sin. Sin was taken care of on the cross of Calvary. The cross was not a place of suicide. The cross was not a place of martyrdom. The cross was not a place of murder, though uh, sometimes we, we think, well, how could it not be murder? I mean, they nailed him to a cross. The cross was a place of great judgment. It was God's judgment being carried out for the sins of the whole world. That was the point of the cross. Just like in the Old Testament where they would take that animal, that, that innocent animal, and they would parade him before, in the judgment, uh, before the, the temple and they would inspect him and make sure he was sinless and spotless. And they would lay their hands upon that animal and they would confess all their sins and with, with true repentance of faith, believing that animal as they laid their sins upon him and that shedding of the blood, that their sins would be forgiven them. We have a greater sacrifice because uh, Christ is at once and for all sacrifice. For by one sacrifice, he's perfected forever them that are sanctified by faith. And uh, it's because of Christ, we don't have to worry about our sins. Calvary was a place of judgment. The judgment of God against man. Both our sins past, present, and future all the sins of the whole world. Uh, John tells us over in 1 John chapter 2, he's a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we thank God for that. Thank God when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's not going to look at me and say, remember all those sins you did? Remember all those sins you've committed? Bible tells us that those sins are buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Tells us he's going to remember those sins no more. They're buried, they're forgotten about. He's not going to bring them up at the judgment seat of Christ. He's not going to bring them up here, he's not going to bring them up there. Christ settled or covered under the blood. And so, thank God for that. So the issue is not our salvation or eternal destiny. It's not what's being judged. The issue is not our sin that was already judged on Calvary. And we understand in the most clear and elementary way that the basis of the judgment is our works. You see, you, you, your works couldn't do anything to get you saved. We understand that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it's, um, it's for, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not going to stand before heaven one day and boast about all your works. But after we are saved, the Bible tells us we ought to be doing good works. And we're going to be judged by the works that we've done in this body. So 
it's not that it's completely forgotten about. This works as mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Revelation chapter 2, verse 23. And uh, in these texts, you can look back and you can see where, according to their works, they would be judged. Jesus says to the churches in those seven churches, I know thy works. Repent, or I'll move, remove your candlestick. So, we see that it's not going to be for our salvation, not for our sin, but for our works. The standing that we have with God is before a thrice holy God, and we understand that. What a, what a terrible thought. But this judgment here with this reverence to eternal salvation, Jude says that God is able to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So that's how we'll stand in regard to our sin, in regard to our salvation, faultless, blameless. But for our works, we'll have to answer. The most obvious question is, well, what is the judgment seat of Christ? What is the judgment seat of Christ? Here it is. The judgment seat, or sometimes referred to as the Bema seat, is what is referred to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 was a raised platform on which a judge would go up and it would make a pub, public pronouncements and sometimes to award prizes. Here, sometimes this judgment seat of Christ, it's, the judgment seat uh, is mentioned over in Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. There in the text, there's Jews, and they were trying to cause an insurrection because Paul, he was out there preaching. They didn't like what Paul had to preach on. So the Jews stirred up an insurrection and, and they tried to... They, Pulled Paul and they brought him before the Bible tells us the judgment seat. Again, First Corinthians or Acts chapter eighteen, you can look it up. Gallio, he wanted nothing to do with what was going on. Gallio was supposed to be the judge judging the matter, and Gallio says, "You judge it to yourselves. I don't want anything to do with this." And so they brought in another man. Gallio, he says, "I don't, I don't want anything to do with." It. They brought in another guy called Sosthenes. Sosthenes came and judged, and and Paul was. Uh, rebuked, and of course, other things happened there. It's mentioned again, it's talked about Pilate's judgment seat. In John chapter 19, where Jesus appeared before the judgment seat, Pilate had Jesus scourged, and it says at this point in John chapter 19 that the cross was laid upon his back. This is after he'd been beaten and scourged and beaten beyond all recognition. The cross was laid upon him, and he went down Calvary's road, headed up to Calvary's mountain there. That was the judgment seat of which he faced. And, he, you know, of course, it was meant to bring shame and scorn because of Christ. And so sometimes we recognize that it can be a time of, of shame and judgment and what have you. But many other times it's, it's referenced to a time where awards are given. Awards are given. In the Grecian games, the umpire referee sat on the Bema seat, and when it came time, uh, from the Bema seat, he would reward the contestants who had run to obtain the prize. Uh, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. But this Bema seat, it's, it's, it's a time where, again, people would go and they would run the race. And the one who the umpire, the referee, esteemed to be the winner, he would come before, he would be presented. The, the laurel wreath would be placed upon his, his, his head, the Stephanus, and uh, he would be awarded. And, I mean, they would give... Give it applause. He pleased the, the, the emperor. He pleased the, uh, those who were there. And so anyway, that, that was to be seed, not a throne us, not a, not a king's uh, throne. 
Judgment seat for the investigation of servants and disciples was what it was about. Investigation of disciples and servants. So Paul references 2 Timothy chapter 4. He talked about how he was ready to depart. His life would be offered as a sacrifice unto the Lord. He said, I'm going to stand before the righteous judge and he's going to give me the crown of righteousness and also unto all those that look for his appearing. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith and henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness is what he says. This is the judgment seat that he's talking about where the rewards is being bestowed by a faithful judge. That's the sense in which he was trying to convey. So the basis of this judgment also stated it's not that we just recognize what it is, that we're all going to stand before him. But the basis of the judgment here, if we were to appear before him, we want to know what we were to be judged by. And here we see it's according to what he had done, whether it be good or bad. Good or bad. So the purpose of the beam of seed is the real heart of each believer that it might be revealed. I always like this scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But in the very next verse, it says that all of us are naked and open unto the eyes of whom, with whom we have to do. And so we recognize that you know the, the word is a light, it's a sword, it, it pierces, it shows us for who we are, it exposes us. It's the word which would be tried by, and as we stand before God, this would be this word to test our service for those things we've, we've done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I have to bring that out. Sometimes as a preacher, we can give the impression that sometimes there, there's going to be this great big screen you know, portrayed throughout all the heavenlies. Everybody's going to know about it and, all the sins we've ever committed, everything that we've ever done, and all the bad deeds that we've done, all this is going to be betrayed throughout the whole heavens, and we're going to stand there with shame and our head hung down low, and it's going to be humiliation, and this, just, I, I want to wipe that image out of your head because that's not, that's not what that's about. That's not what that's about. Again, God is pictured in the, in the Bible as our father for the child of God. He wants us to succeed. He's not purposefully out there trying to shame you. He's not purposefully trying, trying to tear you down. But he will expose us for those things that we've done. Like sometimes when we're at home and we're, remember when I was little, of course, I can only go by me. You guys were probably angels. And something would happen, and my mother would come in the room. She'd say, what's going on here in this room? What did you do? And she starts doing an investigation, and she, she's saying, I'm like, how did you know that? I mean, do you have eyes? I mean, there are cameras in these walls. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> I, and I thought I'd gotten away with something there, and she found, like, how did you know? That's what it's going to be like in heaven. He's going to come in the room, and it's like, I thought I got away with that. <laughs> it's like the CAT scan, X-ray or MRI. Guys, what a judge your heart, and he don't need any fancy equipment to get that done. He already knows. 
But it's going to be not only a time of revealing, it's going to be a time of reckoning. I love that the Bible talks about rewards, but here, here sometimes we, we forget that God is a rewarder. The Bible tells us over in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you know, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. To me, that astounds me. God says, if you apply your faith, he's going to give you a reward. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about, the Hebrew hall of faith. These guys, yeah, they were persecuted here on this earth. Yeah, it didn't go so well with them. But he says, you you live by faith, I'm going to reward you. What it said about Moses, he says, he esteemed the riches of Christ more than all the treasures of Egypt, for he he had respect unto the recompense of reward. He understood that God was going to reward him for his faithfulness, and that's what he was living for. Moses, the man that the Bible tells us over in Hebrews, that he was a faithful son in all of his house. God is a rewarder. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, and to give to every man according as his work shall be. Colossians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there's no respect of persons. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if your name's Isaiah and you were a prophet. He doesn't care if your name's Noah and you built an ark. There's no respect of persons before God. He esteems us all, you know, the same. He is the only one that's holy, righteous, and pure. Only one of you judges without bias. And so it's interesting that no one spoke more of rewards than Jesus. All throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of rewards. I think when we look at the Beatitudes, you see rewards. The Bible tells us in, what is it, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12 or 13, you know, Blessed are you, you've been persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. For so they've, they've done the same unto the prophets that were before you. Great is your reward in heaven. That astounds me. So all I did was stand up for your name, and you're going to reward me for that? Yeah. There's going to be rewards for uh, Jesus, Jesus has talked about the Pharisees who went out and they fasted, they prayed, they gave their alms before men. Jesus said about the Pharisees, don't be like unto them. They have their reward. They got their pat on the back. That's what they wanted. That's what they got. They want to get no more than that. But you, when you pray, when you give alms, when you fast, <laughs> do it privately. Don't go marring your face to be seen of men. Do it in privately. Do it sincerely. Do it truly, and God will reward you for your faith and for your service. I, I don't like quoting John Calvin because, he, of course, that's what Calvinism is all about. But again, once in a while we get some things right. John Calvin once said this. He says, there's no inconsistency in saying that God rewards good works, provided we understand that nevertheless men obtain eternal life gratuitously, that is, by grace. He doesn't have a problem with God rewarding good works. Luke chapter 6, verse 35, the Bible says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, that 
And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Again, reward. Some have found a limited number of um, criteria in the giving of the crowns and, and wondering what the crowns are all about because it's mentioned all throughout uh, the New Testament about these crowns that are going to be given. There's the incorruptible crown. For those who run the race of life acceptably, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the incorruptible crown. Uh, the crown of life for those who resist temptation, James chapter 1. It's going to be the crown of rejoicing for those who reach souls for Christ and Talks about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the crown of righteousness. For those awaiting the coming of Christ, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the crown of glory for the faithful uh, under-shepherds, 1 Peter chapter 5. Those are the crowns that are given. They're, they're conditional upon the service that's being rendered. It's not just going to hand out, oh, you're a pastor, here's a crown, you're a pastor, here's a crown. Here's a... Oh, you, you've been looking for the blessing, here's a crown, here's a crown. It's not a participation award, you know. We'll be tried for our service. The word for crown is, uh, again, Stephanus is a victory wreath given to those who, who had run and uh, displayed these acts. Of courage. I mean, they had to undergo such great, great trials. They would train for nine months to be able to even participate in these games and, and then run with everything that they could to bring honor and glory unto the kingdom. It was a great honor to stand before uh, these great events, whether it was uh, they were standing in the Colosseum or wherever they were standing, great honor to be awarded with one of these wreaths. Many many crowns are given through throughout the um, throughout the years. Probably one of the greatest crowns given was to King Charlemagne, given by the the Pope of all people, crowning the the king. Uh, there's greatness of the the, the the crown jewels on the the. Of Britain, the crown given to the, the whatever monarchy in Britain, you know, that, that thing's expensive. Over a quarter million dollars, the thing's expensive. It's only a, just a headpiece to put on your head. That's it. Um, a lot of crowns are to give. You want to know what these crowns are made up of? Leaves. You know what leaves do? They wither and fade away. I mean, there's nothing to it. Why would you run for a bunch of leaves? They're not running for leaves, they're running for the honor uh, to get the crown uh, because they are pleasing the, uh, the, the, the empire, they're pleasing the, the emperor, they're pleasing whoever is awarding the crown. That's what it's all about. We're being awarded because the life that we've lived was pleasing and acceptable unto the Lord because of our faithfulness. Moreover, it's required as stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what it's all about. It's not like I'm trying to run in competition over here with Denny. I probably wouldn't make a very very good competitor. You know, we're trying to run together, and we're probably all tripping over each other, whatever, and we're running. I'm like, I'm trying to beat this guy over here. That's not what it's about. I'm not trying to not trying to outdo the other person. I'm not trying to impress anybody else in the empire or anybody else in the church. There's only one goal for this crown. I just want to please my Savior. I just want to do service to Him and do all that I can with whatever life that I have, whatever years that I have left, that those years that I spend might be acceptable and pleasing in the sight of the one for whom I'm running. So there's this, this reckoning. We're running for this crown. All the ones that we find in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, I should say, 
all the ones in heaven who were, were claiming worthy as the Lamb to receive glory, honor, praise, blessing, uh, my, all these things. And truly he is worthy. And they said that they cast their crowns down at the feet. You want to know what crown that is? The Stephanoi, the victor's crown. All, all the martyrs, all the redeemed, that's what we will be rewarded if the Lord grants us. Some people struggle with the idea of rewards in the Bible. But uh, first of all, the Bible is explicit that God's going to do this. You know, you can't take away. You, you remove a lot of what Jesus says, a lot about the, the parables and things that he would give us. You know, occupy till I come was one of the parables. And when he comes back, he's going to judge his servants. And at, at the judgment, some of them will be found uh, pleasing unto the Lord. And they'll be given, you know, be thou faithful over five cities or ten cities. But others will receive shame. And he says, you knew that I was a, an austere man or whatever. They'll receive their shame. So the Bible is explicit. There's going to be a day of accounting and some will receive awards. Some will suffer loss. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul is telling all the Corinthian believers who were carnal and, and uh, you know, those who were supposed to be sanctified and redeemed in the name of Christ and they had all the privileges. He says, your works. Watch how you behave. Watch how you're living. Watch the shame you bring to Christ. That's why he's telling them, judge the, the, the immoral relationship that was going on. A man taking his, his father's uh, stepmother, essentially what it would have been. And it's, it's a shame of what's even mentioned in all of the empire. It's a shame. And he says, don't forget, you want to stand for your works. They're all boasting about these great gifts that they've been given. And, uh, you know, people come in and it's causing confusion and uh, th this kind of thing. And he says, don't forget, <laughs> when you use these gifts, they are to be used to honor the Lord. And whatsoever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Don't forget, your works will be tried by fire. That goes for every one of us. So, if we have faithful Christian living, we'll be awarded for that. But if not, we'll also be rewarded for the shame that we bring as well. Second, the issue at stake is not competition, but faithfulness. It's what I mentioned to you already. Moreover, it's required to stewards of the man be found faithful. We're just there to please the Lord and, uh, and give Him glory and honor. It's not like we're going to have a big trophy case up there in heaven. You know, I used to do shoot archery, and I had these all these trophies put up on, on my uh, gun cabinet and things like this, and proud of. You're not going to have a trophy case up in heaven. It's all about the king. The honor that we'll have is just being able to serve alongside the king there in the kingdom. And then, here's the third point. Oh, I already mentioned the third point. We don't have a trophy case. Yeah, there we go. Regardless or not, everyone will be rewarded. Some will suffer shame and loss. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I know I'm, I'm trying to get through a lot of material in a short time, but 
where it says our works will be tried to what sort it is, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. What sort it is has the idea of quality. James mentions it when he talks about the man who goes and he looks in the mirror and straightway forgets what kind of what manner of man that he was. He forgets that he's got some cleaning up to do. Uh, he forgets that it wasn't him that gave him that standing in the first place. It was Christ that cleaned him up. When he goes and he forgets what manner of man that he was. In other words, he failed to, to recognize the quality of his life. He thought that he was religious and therefore right with God. We test diamonds with, in gold uh, and we try to make sure that they're real and genuine. God's going to test our works through fire. There was a guy by, na- uh, by the name of Molinos, the quietest. He, condemned, he was condemned as a heretic, led away to his prison cell. And the old man said to his judges, he said, We shall meet again in the judgment day. And then it will appear on which side, on yours or mine, is the truth. You see, they understood that they could lead him away, they can condemn him as a heretic, but ultimately it was God who would judge those things. Galatians chapter 6, we reap what we sow. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, Add to your faith, uh, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, all these things. And he says at this, verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into, ever, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, with a couple minutes left, let's just move to this last point of reflecting. Paul spoke in great terms. He's talked about uh, we labor. He says we press toward the mark. He says we endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We strive for the masteries. Paul says Know ye not that we which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. Paul says if I want to get that crown, it's not because I, I'm just casual about this life. He says just as those who, who go into sports... Just as those who would go into a boxing match or a sports arena who run or who play tennis or whatever, they train their bodies. They got to bring it into subjection. Lest at any means they be found to cast away. Not worthy. Not worthy and forfeit the crown. And to whom is Paul speaking but to the Corinth, the Corinthian church? What I'm saying is this applies to us as well, to you and to me. So we got to be temperate in all things. we got to be in the race. we got to be in it to win it. we got to run to please our master. The church has invoked a race for the crown and do it lawfully. These crowns are not granted on the grounds of the new birth, but on the grounds of our uh, good works, our, our achievement. Paul is speaking of his own self in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is what gets me because he's speaking of his own calling. And, and, and this is the verse that hit home for me years ago. Woe of me if I preach not the gospel, for if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if not, a dispensation has been granted unto me. In other words, if I do it willfully, I'll be rewarded. But if not, I'll suffer the shame and loss for turning my back on my calling. 
bringing shame to my master? Oh, what, what reward, Paul? What reward have ye? He says, well, when I get to heaven, I'll find out. But uh, in here and now, it's bringing souls to the Savior and giving them the gospel and telling them all about Jesus Christ and many souls being brought into the kingdom. And just like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, uh, what, is our, what is our crown and rejoicing? Are not ye even in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ? Paul says, that's my crown. That's my crown of rejoicing. And it's a sobering thought. If we receive any crowns, our motive must be the glory of God. But here's the deal. We can't lose our crowns. 2 John, verse 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but we receive the full reward. Revelation 3.11, Behold, I come quickly. Behold, or hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And we've got to ask ourselves, am I living in such a way that I'm forfeiting the crowns? Am I living in such a way that brings shame to my Savior? Or am I living in such a way then honors my Lord. And whatever rewards, that's God's business. That's, that's not what I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about the integrity of my Savior. I'm concerned about standing for His name. I'm concerned about living for His glory. It's not, it's not the awards. The greatest award of all is being able to be with my Savior. And that's it. That's it. And maybe some... Some this morning, maybe we got to get serious about, uh, uh, about this idea of faithfulness in our service. You know, sometimes we get afraid of these good works. Oh, we, we can't do good works because, you know, we can't no good works to get us into heaven. No, but after you're saved, you ought to be doing good works. You ought to be doing good works. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning and pray that you just bless this lesson to our hearts. May we ponder on it. And, uh, Lord, really, really consider what your word has to say about the judgment seat of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.